1: Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz.
0: And I'm Andrew Mitchell.
2: And it's been another interesting week in technology, as always. Uh, Facebook is still trying to push the old metaverse. We're going to talk about why that is such a dangerous big tech trend and we should really be careful with it. Uh, I'm going to go back to the emoji, and I'm going to talk about the movement from emoji to animoji. We didn't quite get that done last week, and there were a few more things that we wanted to cover. Uh, in memory lane, we're going to talk about the most ridiculous computer repair instruction that you have ever seen. Now, we're also, if we have time, and I'm not sure if we will, we're going to talk about the Bitcoin battle of the century. There's a court case going on where somebody is suing Craig Wright as though he were uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, and they're suing him for one half of the Bitcoin stash. It's an interesting uh, court case that shows a lot of the inside baseball of Bitcoin, this week, we're going to feature Howard Rheingold. He is one of the, um, the pioneers back at the beginning of, uh, of social media on the Internet. He's the man who actually coined the term virtual communities. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Kyle in Miami. Dear Tech Talk, last week you talked about hibernate versus sleep mode in the Windows operating system. Does the hibernate mode exist in the Mac world? I'd like to use it. Kyle in Miami, Florida. Well, um, as you recall, uh, you know, just to refresh, uh, sleep mode: when you put your computer in the sleep mode, it puts all the it, it stores all the information as its RAM in place so that when it comes back, you don't have to load the programs, they're gonna just stay in RAM. But then it turns off the monitor, turns off a lot of the the power using features of the computer, and just sits there with the RAM active, so you can activate it quickly. Hibernate mode takes what's in RAM, and it copies it to the hard drive, and then it turns off the computer. And then when you reboot the computer, it copies the, the RAM contents from the hard drive puts it back in RAM, and you start right up where you were with all the open documents and all the processes that were going on. So it's, it's a quick way to get started again once you load it from the hard drive. Now, Now, it turns out the Mac does not have something called Hibernate. They have something called slightly that's slightly differently. Uh, they do have the sleep mode when it when the when you, uh, you know, if you've got a, a laptop or you've got a desktop, the Mac the default data it, it goes into sleep mode if you're not using it for a while or if you close the lid to your laptop, it'll go into sleep mode and it it basically uh, just keeps the the RAM alive and it shuts down uh, as much as it can shut down. And then if it turns out that Your battery runs out. Uh, It will copy RAM, whatever is in RAM, whatever temporary things in RAM that you want to store. It'll copy those to the hard drive and then shut down properly. But it turns out that the Mac has something called safe sleep. Safe sleep mode. And this is similar to Hibernate. What it does in safe sleep mode, and this is a pretty good idea, it copies... It stores whatever is in RAM in place, and then it copies what's in RAM to the hard drive. And then when it's in safe sleep mode, if the battery gets slow and it has to shut down, it doesn't have to copy anything to RAM because it's already copied the RAM to the hard drive, and the computer simply shuts down. It's a pretty good, pretty good operation. Now, the problem is with the Mac um, is that you just – it's hard to find the safe sleep mode. You've got to go to the Unix terminal in order to activate it and put in a, a a command prompt to do it. So I guess Steve Jobs just didn't think you should you should be tinkering with safe sleep mode. But it, it is there. Have you had any experience with that, Andrew? I
0: did. So I tried to follow the instructions in the article you sent. And um, so the first thing I did was two things. I tried to find two different ways to search for the word terminal – and I wasn't able to find that so I got stymied. So what do you suggest I do um, to, to, to bypass that because that's just the interface over the UNix so how do I bypass the yeah, my, so my, my choices there, there,
2: you should be able to find app, utility applications in there you might you, you, there are a couple of command pumps to get to the application utilities uh, you see when Steve Jobs developed that operating system uh, the, the, the the Mac operating system, he built it on top of, bsd unix so the core sy- the, the core system is unix and then they wrapped kind of a uh, user interface around it so the mac interface is all user interface sitting on top of a unix kernel so the terminal is in there and you just have to uh, have to uh, access it um uh, and apparently they just made it a little bit more uh, difficult so i i think uh Andrew, this week you can, you can go back in there and try to locate that terminal.
0: Yeah. So what was the uh, control control well, shift U? what was
2: the deal there? Yeah. Yeah. I, I forget exactly what <laughs> okay. it is. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and check it out. Yeah. So I'll, 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 but I'll, I'll send to... you, I'll send you those instructions. Yes. So, but I know it's in there Yeah. because it's, it's built on top of it. And, and, uh, and the Mac operating system does a great job of masking the the underlying Unix system. And Unix is, it, you know, Linux is a variation of Unix too, uh, but the but the user interface on Linux is not as beautiful as the user interface on the on the Mac. They did a great job on that. Yes. And, and you remember, they fired Steve Jobs from Apple because. He wanted to come out with the Macintosh, and they wanted to just keep making money on the Apple II. They fired him. He started another company called Next Computer, which uh, was going to be his ultimate computer, and that's where he developed the operating system built on Unix. And then when they hired Steve Jobs back again at Apple, they bought Next Computer. They brought the operating system back to Apple, and the new operating system... Was built on uh, the next operating system, so all the all the latest Mac systems are, are built on that. I mean, even the even the iPhone is is, is built on that. So um, in the end, he did get what he wanted at Apple, but he had to leave and come back. So that'll be an interesting uh, we'll have an interesting discussion on that next week. We got an email from Hawk in Bowie. Dear Doc and Andrew, my friend. My friends uh, have recent iPhones, and they keep sending me Animojis. Unfortunately, I've got an iPhone 7, and it does not support Animojis. Is there any way that I get Animojis on my iPhone? I'd love to use them. Now, these Animojis are like little figures that will track your face. So you can talk, and you can close your eyes, and the, little an- and the little emojis actually follow your facial expression. And then you can make voicemail messages with these Animojis talking. It's really fun to do. But it turns out the Animoji on the iPhone is only supported for iPhone 10 and later. Any versions of the iPhone prior to 10 do not support Animojis. Now, Hawk, here's the good news. You can download apps that will give you emojis if you've got an earlier iPhone. Now, the Disney Emoji Blitz is one. The Disney Emoji Blitz, Disney Emoji Blitz is one of the best ones and it supports both Android as well as I, as well as the uh, iOS, the uh, Apple operating system, which is really good news for the Android users. It allows you to make a 3D avatar on your smartphone. It's a free app. You can customize your avatar with thousands of Disney and Pixar and Star Wars emojis. They've also got Zepito. Zepito is a great Animoji app developed by the Snow Corporation for Android and iOS. It allows you to make 3D characters of yourself. You can use it in chat rooms to start a chat with strangers. I mean, yeah. I never thought about having an Animoji on in a chat room. That's interesting. So it allows you to edit your character's face or dress with different costumes. And a third one is Chudo, C-H-U-D-O. It's a great anim- Animoji app. It allows you to easily create 3G animated emojis on both the Android and the iOS devices. It's, uh, it's easy to share with your friends. You can upload them to social media. Um, you can upload a 3D model that's that your friends can use two for their own animojis. So you oh, can so, share so, so they can the stab 3D 3D you in the back.
0: They, you mm-hmm. if 3D with a 3D model, you can stab someone in the back. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that's uh, that's
2: kind of interesting. Now these are all. I mean, they're they're probably they're like a dozen of them. I just picked out three. So with all of these, are, though, are you pretty good?
0: Are you like? Do you ever upload a picture of yourself or a photo or something or an image, you know, from the camera, or are you just picking from templates that resemble you? You're creating. You're just, it just picking from templates, yeah, and then you yeah. pick
2: the hair and the skin, yeah. And the okay. Eyes
0: yeah. You. Um, and
2: by the I, way, I thinking, wanted to mention something. i uh-huh. that'll be the next thing built on built on pictures themselves.
0: Yeah, you think that has to be coming next. Um, I wanted to mention that Chudo actually means a miracle or wonder in Russian. And that was the name given to this app by the developer. So it's a Brooklyn-based company named Magic Unicorn. But it's actually run by a 32-year-old native of Russia named Ashot Gabriel Gabrylanov. So, yeah, wow. that's – so that actually – yeah, because well, I saw that word and I said, gee, that sounds like a Russian word. And, and in fact, it is, chudo, meaning miracle.
2: That is interesting. Yeah. So all you guys with the old iPhones can get Animojis on set. And, and these are all uh, free. Now, of course, they all want to make money, so they may have different outfits that you have to pay for and that sort of thing. But but these are basically free. I I did download one Animoji just to try it out, and I, d- I deleted it because it was $29 to do anything. And I thought, man, I'm not going to pay for that. So I gave you three <laughs> low-cost options. Uh,
0: yeah, you stayed on the budget. Stay on the That's budget. That's right.
2: Okay. We got an email from Karen in Virginia Beach. Dear Tech Talk, I'm planning a trip to Europe. How can I safely access the internet? internet while I'm on vacation. I plan to stay in small boutique hotels and travel via train, Karen in Virginia Beach. Well, uh, accessing the internet, Karen, while you're traveling can can be risky because there are hackers and scammers that are waiting around trying to hack into your system when you log into Wi-Fi. So uh, the one thing that, I mean, there are a few um, hints that I would give you. Never use an open, unencrypted Wi-Fi. At a restaurant, or and visit a website that requires you to log on, because if you're in an open, unencrypted Wi-Fi network, people can sit in the same hotspot and they can have an application on their laptop and they can basically sniff all of the um, all your usernames and passwords but as you log in. Are you it's, so they're
0: they're monitoring keystrokes? Is that right? They're
2: monitoring keystrokes. So yeah. if you
0: have, say, a banking application. As opposed to going to a website and you're not logging in because you already have it pre-configured, they wouldn't necessarily, that wouldn't really be able to hack that if you had, like, say, a bank no, app. No, they, no,
2: they'll, they, they'll pick up the, because it sends in the login information, it's just stored in buffer. Aha. Uh-huh. Now, so it will pick up the login information. On okay. the other hand, if the uh, the website uses uh, HTTPS, secure connection, the password is encrypted.
0: So many, many, many websites are doing that now, by they the way. They do, yeah. but it's
2: not guaranteed. Yeah, it's okay. not guaranteed. And so uh, as a general rule, when I'm on any kind of like a S- Starbucks Wi-Fi, a restaurant Wi-Fi, I don't do anything that, uh, with login, I don't check email. I I don't, I don't do anything. I just, you know, you just, you can surf the web and nobody, nobody worries about it. Now, now what I have on my iPhone though, if I do want to check my email, I've got a VPN. I got a VPN on both my laptop and on my, I I use express VPN. I love it. And it's good for up to five devices. So what I do, if I'm going to say, if, if I'm at a restaurant and I want to check my email with my iPhone, I will turn on my ExpressVPN and that encrypts everything. And then I can, uh, then nobody can see my passwords. And it's very easy. To, you know, once you've installed ExpressVPN, I pay like $99 a year for this and it covers all my devices. I just turn it on. If, if I'm on, uh, when I, with my laptop, if I'm, uh. If I'm at a hotel, I'll turn on. I will activate ExpressVPN because I, I just don't trust Wi-Fi anywhere, and that's really a good option. Now, if you don't, if you don't have, you know, a VPN, just and you've got to log on. Make certain that you look for HTTPS, and then don't enter any password in unless there's an HTTPS, because that is an encrypted connection, a secure socket layer connection, which means there's an encryption data stream between your computer. And the website and people cannot intercept your your password there. And over time, more and more websites are, are using HTTPS by default. Uh, I know that Google uses it now for Gmail and uh, and so over time they're using they're going at, it. It requires more processing speed on the part of the internet uh, on the part of the uh, service provider. So that in the beginning they weren't all doing it, but now more and more people are doing it. Now also, if you if you've got your laptop, then it might get stolen. Uh, you know it's it might be wise not to let your laptop store all your passwords. You know, it, you know, because a lot of the laptops will store the passwords and just put them in for you. If your laptop is stolen and all the passwords are there, and somebody can get access to your laptop, they can log into all the websites and you and your and it'll just log in automatically. So, if you think there's a chance your laptop might get stolen it may be wise not to have all your passwords especially your banking passwords stored on your on yes, your website especially
0: banking stuff but I'm wondering when you open up an email application is it automatically sending you know when it says checking for updates or whatever for the mail is it actually sending your your login information?
2: It is automatically. Okay,
0: so you, we don't even realize that. Yeah,
2: you, you, you don't even realize it. Now the good news is Gmail. Now, so you can you can check your all your uh, email service providers to make certain that they that they do the login with HTTPS. Mm-hmm. But what what I try to if, if I'm going and logging on to a Wi-Fi network, I, I turn on ExpressVPN. I've just it's just it, it's just become a habit. Now. Uh, the only time you can't use a VPN, uh, you know, is if you want to stream music. I mean, it used to be in the old days if I'd want to, you know, there'd be certain music I could stream in the U.S. and I go to India, I can't stream it because it's out of the country and they don't have copyright for that. And uh, and I could log into a VPN, say a New York VPN, say express, I, I pick a New York server, and I could be in India and I could listen to Pandora. But now, now Pandora is smart enough that they're detecting VPNs, so they're trying to block um, block people in India from listening to, to Pandora. Is, is used, this
0: true of the streaming services, the video streaming services too? Aren't uh, isn't Netflix wise to that now?
2: Yeah, they 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 are wise to that, and so ExpressVPN is in this battle with uh, with all these streaming services. And what they'll try to do, they'll come out with a new, because what it is, they, they know the IP address of all the ExpressVPN hosts, so they block them. And then they're constantly coming out with new hosts, uh, and they, and so it's a cat and mouse game. And so ExpressVPN is always in a battle with these uh, content streamers. But the thing is, I mean, I own Pandora. If I want to stream it in India, I'm not really breaking any rules. I, I've got an account. Uh, so I'm I'm not really doing anything wrong, but it is a uh, it's it's a constant battle, and the one reason I got ExpressVPN is they were the most successful at fighting that battle, and I could frequently stream in India successfully, and then they'd get caught, and then I'd have to find another server with ExpressVPN. So it's a it's an ongoing problem, and of course the reason they're doing that is they don't want to they're that their uh their copyright rules say that they can't stream in india and so they're only paying copyright for u.s distribution that's what that's why they do that then the last thing you've got to watch for is what we call it the evil twin wi-fi network so i i could go to a i could go to a, an airport and i could set up my laptop as a hotspot, and uh and I could have a little antenna, and I could call my little hotspot free airport Wi-Fi, and I could get people to log on to my hotspot, and then I would be connected to the internet via. It could be via cellular, or uh, for instance, I could have a, I, I could connect my cellular. Um, I, I could plug in a you know a cellular connection to my laptop. And then, and people could log on to my laptop and get internet access, but all their traffic is passing through my laptop and I can capture all of their passwords.
0: Unless you're, does
2: the VPN protect you in that instance too? A VPN does protect you from Mm -hmm. that. A VPN protects you from the evil twin. But, um. But uh, it's, it's very easy to do. And so when you go to an airport, you notice there are all of these Wi-Fi networks all over the place. And you've just got to be certain that you're logging on to the real Wi-Fi network and not an evil twin. We got an email from Barbie in, uh, in Reston. Uh, I got a very urgent problem. I need your help. Everything was fine when I went to bed last night. When I woke up this morning to check my email, the laptop couldn't log on to the router. Then I, d- I searched for the Wi-Fi router n- name, and there was some obscene name that had been replaced with my with my route router. It looks like somebody hacked my hacked my um, hacked my router. What can I do? Well, Barbie, you, you are right. Somebody somebody hacked your router. You you, you probably didn't didn't have a very secure uh, password username and password on the router somebody hacked into it and they just changed the name of your wi-fi network changed the password and they just want to cause you some problems now to get it back see barbie can't log on to it now because the password's changed so to get it back you have to reset it barbie so what you have to do is you want to uh, take your laptop leave it powered on look at the back of the laptop uh, back of the router and there should be a button there called reset sometimes it's in a little hole and you've got a push it in with, a, with the tip of a pencil. So push the reset button, hold it in for about 10 seconds, and that takes your laptop back to the default settings. Then you're going to have to know what the, what the default username and password is on the router. And you can do that by going to the uh, router manufacturer and looking up the manual. And they might have username is admin, password is admin. That's a typical one. And then you have to know what the address is, the default uh, IP address for the router. And uh, it's usually one of two, uh, 192.168.1.1, or it could be uh, 192.168.0.1. And so it would be one of those two. And then... What you want to do then, once it's reset, you uh, connect your laptop to the router via Ethernet. You're going to need an Ethernet cable. Plug the Ethernet into your laptop or your computer, then plug the Ethernet cable in the back of the router. And then you want to go to the router IP address, log in using the default username and password. And then at that point, you can go in and you can change the username and password, and then you can configure your Wi-Fi network, put a name on it, a proper name, and then you can set a uh, a password for your Wi-Fi network and set a good secure password and make certain to use wp 2 which is the more secure, so pure net, pure uh, more secure way to do it. Doc, and I then, gotta
0: know, how did somebody hack? You know, do you have to be within range of the Wi-Fi, or is there a way to do it remotely because it's on the internet anyway?
2: Yeah, you can. You can. People can. Uh, one of the things with routers, you can you, you can have remote access allowed on a router. And if if they've allowed remote access allowed, people can uh can go to the can can actually log into their router remotely, just over the internet. Mm -hmm. And if they've got a weak username and password, uh they can get in. And there are a lot of people that just leave username admin, password admin. Mm -hmm. and, And they just leave it there. And so um because you can look up all these default passwords. So people can, um, and they do that so you can can manage your router remotely. So I turn off all remote management, first of all. So if you've turned off remote management, people cannot change your router remotely. They would have to hack your uh, Wi-Fi network. And so they could log on to the Wi-Fi network, and then what they could do if they 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 would they would have to know they would have to get your Wi-Fi password. Then once they've logged onto your Wi-Fi network, they could go to the router by simply putting the internal IP address of the router, and then they could log into the router using the default username and password, and they could change everything. I mean, one time my neighbor, I mean, he never configured his, and I could, so I went in, I went into to his router, and I, uh, you know, and it's easy. I mean, he just didn't secure anything. So I went in there and logged in to his router, and I showed him what I could do. So after I showed him what I could do to, to, to him, he, he decided to change it. So chances are this was just a neighbor. <laughs> I wow. would think it's more likely it's just a neighbor having fun with you. Uh, we got an email from Ken, uh, a long-term listener. I want to express appreciation for Andrew's interesting and insightful, informative and helpful and enjoyable contribu- contributions to the show each week. Incidentally, you mentioned last week that Ted Nelson was responsible for the back button on web browsers. I'm glad he thought of it. This is not exactly about that, but for what it's worth, I think the undo function is one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. Dr. Ken. Well, Ken, thanks for the feedback, and we are happy to have Andrew on the show now.
0: Well, you're making me blush, Doc. You're making me blush. Very
2: good. (laughs) Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can.
0: Yes, and next we meet the man who coined the term virtual community, and he had many other ideas about the positive uses of the Internet long before the introduction of the World Wide Web. That's next on Tech Talk Radio.
2: Yes, today we're going to feature Howard Rheingold. Howard Rheingold is best known for predicting the cultural, social, and political implications of the internet, mobile phones, and virtual communities, which, by the way, is a term that he coined. Rheingold was born July 7, 1947, in Phoenix, Arizona. He graduated from Reed College in Portland, Oregon in 1968. After graduating from college, he held a variety of jobs before focusing on writing. He spent much of the 80s exploring the intersection between human consciousness, creative activity, and new technologies. He kept viewing computers as mind amplifiers.
0: I really love this term. Because it kind of makes you realize, you know, this can be an extension of your mind as opposed to just something that, you know, you type words on or, or look things up, and, but actually using your mind in a, in a more expanded way.
2: That's exactly right. And, of course, this was back at the time when the counterculture was experimenting with LSD through all the Timothy Leary experiments. And LSD was viewed as a mind amplifier. So that word is used in the context of the drug culture back then. Well,
0: but I, pr- I prefer my innocent apropos. explanation. I prefer my innocent explanation, Doc. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but when you got involved with computers, that was long after.
0: That even. was way after. Yeah, it didn't even way occur to me.
2: That. Now, he spent much of the 80s exploring that the intersection between technology and creativity. Now, he he didn't get onto the Web until 1983, And uh, he was one of the first non-programmers to try to explore the impact of the Internet on humanity. Now, his lifelong fascination with mind augmentation and its methods led him to the Institute of Noetic Sciences, And the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center was, that's where they invented a lot of our baseline personal computer technology, Xerox PARC. He worked and wrote about the earliest personal computers. Now he, he wrote his first book about it in 1985, Tools for Thought. Viewing computers as tools for thought. And he talked about the the history behind the personal computer. Uh, Now he got really notoriety when he published his book Virtual Reality in 1991. But it was not until he published the book Virtual Community that he became a leading commentator on cyberspace and the notion of online communities in particular. In that work, Ron Gold set light on what users do within virtual community, especially on the well. Well an online community that he joined in 1985.
0: So put this in uh, perspective. The virtual community, the book came out in 1993, but he talked about you know his experiences back in uh, 1985, which, by the way, is when I got my first Mac computer. And, and he, he talked about uh, his experience uh, not just in the book but also in an interview that he gave just this past year. So I just want to share uh, what his insight was on, on um, being on the well uh, back in, in 1985.
2: Being a writer, I've been alone in a room my in entire life. I guess a lot of other people are kind of experiencing that these days. It's not, uh, you know, being isolated uh, in my office is not new to me. I did it for decades, and and you know, a lot of writers in places like New York go to bars to to hang out or or, or coffee shops, and uh, and I found that I could just drop in on the well and have conversations with all kinds of 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 people. Uh, about all kinds of subjects, and in fact, we were learning from each other.
0: That's a big topic with him, uh, learning from each other, and that is what he means by a virtual community.
2: Yeah, it's it's like you, you have people who care about you, you share ideas, you debate, you argue, but you actually support each other. And it is, the well was not anonymous. That's a key point. It really is, yeah. And many of the people on the well would actually meet in real life, uh, you know, they they would actually end up becoming friends, even though they met virtually. And um, this well really influenced this whole idea of the virtual community. And this was a time, by the way, when when hippies were trying to reinvent the world, and uh, with communes and the well was started by a Stuart brand who, who actually, you know, published the whole earth catalog, which is a catalog for communes of, you know, of tools that they could use. And they viewed this virtual community as moving the commune online. So it was really an intersection there between the counterculture and technology. It was really interesting. Now, He explored communities formation within Usenet groups as well as in role-playing games like multi-user dungeons called MUDs. Uh, He thought that virtual communities represented uh, humans at their finest. He felt that um, that our everyday world could really be augmented by this. He called it the electronic agora.
0: Agora being a word for, a Greek word for marketplace.
2: Yes, yeah. yes. That's right, agora.
0: Yeah, as an agoraphobia. So in the virtual <laughs>
2: community offered a brief simplified history of the internet, and he talked about anecdotal observations uh, on his experiences with the well. Now, he published a, a, a number of other books like uh, Out of the Inner Circle, A Hacker's Guide to Com- Computer Security. He published that in 91. He published Virtual Reality, Exploring the Brave New Technologies of the Artificial Experience. Uh, he actually did a stint at, uh, at, at editing the Whole Earth Review. Stuart Brand was his friend, uh, the guy who started the, the well. He served as editor-in-chief of the Millennial Whole Earth Catalog. He helped create Hot Wired, which was the first webzine, web-based magazine, uh, with a virtual community. Uh, and he, he served, and it served as the online component of the then relatively new Wired magazine, which, which still exists. In 96, he started Electric Minds, which is another online magazine with a virtual community. Uh, he later sold Electric Minds, and then he started a third virtual community in 98 called Brainstorms which was a web conferencing community for knowledgeable, intellectual, and future-thinking adults. He later uh, established Rheingold's Associates to work on online management strategies. In 2002, he wrote Smart Mobs. After he saw how people could organize with Twitter to, uh, to protest against governments, he saw that happening and he explored the potential of smart mobs uh, to augment collective intelligence. Uh, He worked with the Institute of the Future. Uh, He wanted to really look at trends to predict where we were going with technology. He was a visiting lecturer at multiple universities and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. He lives in Mills Valley, California with his wife, now, he never really was after money. I mean, they estimated his net worth in 2021 is about a million dollars. So he's not really a rich guy, but he's a guy who's really tried from a, from a liberal arts and writer perspective to try to put the Internet and social media in perspective. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Howard Rheingold, one of the, uh, the pioneers in virtual communities.
0: Okay, you know what comes next? Join Doc for his observations. So come to the faculty lounge, and uh, before you pull up a chair, pour yourself a coffee or maybe even a beer. My
1: beer is Rheingold, the dry beer. Think of Rheingold whenever you buy beer. It's not bitter, not sweet, extra dry flavored treat. Won't you try extra dry Rheingold beer? It's technology. It's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio.
3: Presented by Stratford University. Coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers every Everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity.
1: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for observations from the Faculty lounge.
0: Yeah, and Doc. I bet you didn't know you had a beer uh dispenser in there. That no, we just put that in this that week. We really just really
2: th- is making our. Yeah,
0: uh, we just had that put in this lounge, week.
2: a top flight <laughs> <laughs> facility. But
0: but it only sells beer from the 1950s, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, not Rheingold beer. Yeah. Uh,
2: that is a problem. Yeah. So I wanted to go back and look at the impact of the hippie culture on the internet and computer technology. If you remember back in the sixties, computers haunted the American popular imagination. They were viewed as tools of war. They embodied the rigid organization and mechanical conformity that made the military industrial complex possible. Uh, had kind of a negative feel we were just coming out of the vietnam war back then and there was a whole group of people out in the san francisco area and and other places that wanted to reinvent the way that we lived and they set up communes and it became the whole hippie movement now that was right at the dawn of the internet when computers And uh, this is by the early 1990s, we started having the Internet and links of computers on the Internet. And there was a whole new face of computer technology that was being enabled because of the Internet. It was kind of a different world that would allow collaborative, from a hippie's point of view, a digital utopia that could be modeled on the community, communal ideas of the hippie. And so there was a feeling that the communes that were real life could be transformed into virtual communities on the Internet. Now, this movement was driven by a highly influential group in the San Francisco Bay Area that was uh, spearheaded by uh, entrepreneur Stuart Brand and the Whole Earth Network. We featured Stuart Brand a few weeks ago on Tech Talk, between 68 and 98, the Whole Earth Catalog, a computer conferencing system known as the Well, that we talked about earlier, and ultimately Wired Magazine, Brand and his colleagues brokered a long running collaboration between San Francisco Flower Power and the Emerging Technology Hub in Silicon Valley. Thanks to their vision, counterculturalists and technologies joined together to reimagine. Computers as tools for personal liberation, the building of virtual and alternative communities, and the exploration of new social frontiers. Howard Reingold was part of that movement. As he tried to quantify the rules of the new virtual community, and, and I've never really seen that linkage before. Yeah, until and I want to
0: stress something because of the you know toxic nature of our interactions online nowadays. That uh, you know a commune in real life requires, even though it's like free love or whatever. It actually required a lot of discipline and a lot of uh, sort of subjecting your own ego and your own self and your own needs to the needs of the community, and therefore you're respectful and you listen more than you talk, that sort of thing. And that's what they were trying to bring um, into the into the virtual world.
2: That's right, and uh, and they also yeah talk about the idea of a host.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that, the idea that you know nowadays um, a lot of these. Um, online communities are actually not moderated by a human being, but by an algorithm. And whereas uh, Reingold was saying, you know, uh, there's nothing like a human person to sort of check what people are saying and to maybe uh, guide the discussion and maybe to you know curb some of the excesses and other people can chime in and give people a chance to talk in turn and all of that. And it takes a human, not an algorithm to do that.
2: Any, you know, he likened hosting a, a, you know, an online forum is like hosting a dinner party.
0: Yeah, that's a great you image too. You invite guests
2: in, you make certain that the guests understand the rules of the dinner party before they attend. No standing on the table, uh, <laughs> yes. what, whatever it would be. Yeah, no and, hanging from the uh, chandelier. And then you try to get the the guests to engage in civil conversation. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and that actually we're we're losing it now. Howard Reingold also uh, he also believed that we can through mindfulness and through focus and attention we can make the internet to anything we want. So we don't have to succumb to the news feeds and the the trivial uh, liking that you have on Facebook. We can engage in substantive conversations on the net. It's willfully, and so that you can control your interactions through how you use the internet. So he was, uh, instead of people complaining about all the bad stuff on the internet, he said, look, just ignore it. And you focus on what, how you want to use the internet. I thought that was really a good message.
0: Yeah. I mean, and cha- just change You know, the fact is that we have choices that we can make. So change your own behavior and you can find like-minded people who will uh, behave according to the rules that make sense.
2: That's right. So I think this was uh, this was sort of a good good travel that we've had the last few weeks over memory lane, sort of the the formative beginning of the Internet when we had liberal liberal arts guys combined with technologists to sort of get us where we want to go. It might also indicate what what we're doing wrong now and how we could fix it. Now, I think we should go back to the emoji again uh-huh. and the Animoji. OK.
0: Yeah, this is from the, uh, uh, the again, we, I think we played this once before. We'll do, do it again because it's so much fun. It's from the Emoji Movie, and, uh, and they explain, you know, what an emoji actually does.
1: Welcome to the secret world inside your phone. Woo-hoo! Where emojis like me work and live. Here, each of us does one thing, and we have to nail it every time. Incoming text. We are go for met. Who me? Oh, no. What's he doing? He's making the wrong face. Huh?
0: What the heck? <laughs> so that is the I the, the stress of the, being the an emoji.
2: Actually, uh, really hit the big time in 2007. This is when uh, you know when when Google adopted them for a launch in Japan and Spain. It was in 1999 that the Japanese really. Uh, A guy actually created a whole set of emojis for Japan, 176 emojis, Sajitaka Kurita. And so the Japanese used emojis first, and then they finally came uh, eight years later to the U.S. when Google launched them. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Apple launched them in 2008. And, of course, that movie came out in in, uh, 2017. Yeah. Then in 2010, emojis became part of the Unicode, uh, where you could actually—they actually had you know official, official code assignments within the Unicode protocol—and they made it to the Apple keyboard in 2011. But the big thing in 2017 was the animojis, where you could you could actually have emojis that would follow your face as you talked, and you could send a a voicemail message to someone and you're in the animoji would talk i think these well, animojis are just a lot of here's
0: here's the thing doc now this is actually uh, we're about to hear you your voice but this is actually <laughs> you as an emoji an emoji. on the show
2: on saturday we're going to talk about animated emoji they were released by apple in 2017 we'll talk about are they useful or is it just another gimmick
0: so you actually uh, talked about the fact that you were very conscious of how you moved your mouth because it's tracking that and it turns that into the emoji. So I know
2: I, I, when I'm doing sending an Animoji, I talk differently.
0: Yeah, and for and sure, you're, and you're moving your lips more and to make sure they get uh, c- c- kind of captured in the Animoji. That's right. Yeah. but
2: I'm telling you, it is fun to send emojis, especially <laughs> to the grandkids. They love it. Yeah, and uh, so I can send it to I can send it to other iPhone people. And, and they'll get it. But the nice thing is you can send it also to older iPhones and to Androids and they can receive the anemoji because it converts it to a movie and then you're just sending a movie by text message so they can just watch the movie and it uh, and it works out uh, works out just fine. And of course, you can download one of those three apps if you want to make it yourself if you're on Android or on an older iPhone. Now you can learn all about emojis by going to the emoji, Emojipedia.org. That's like the Wikipedia of emoji. Emojipedia.org, and you can look at everything you'd want to know about emojis. So, doctor
0: do you want to take a break right now, and then we'll uh, go for the final run here? Or? Okay,
2: that sounds very good. All right, good. that's
1: what we'll do on Tech Talk Radio. Yeah. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Let's look at this Facebook metaverse and how Facebook is trying to rebrand themselves as something that's good for society. Now, Facebook's rebranding as Meta, they want to change the name of the company from Facebook to Meta, just like Google changed their name to Alphabet. Uh, It's seen by many as the latest attempt at corporate crisis control. It also represents an attempt to rebrand the growing power of tech monopolies to shape all areas of our lives through social expansion. I mean, their, the name of their game is just making more money on ads. Their mission is not to have an online community. Their mission is not to have an online commune. Their mission is not to help humanity uh, interact in a more fruitful and productive way doc you're shattering all my illusions money
0: (laughs) you're you're shattering all my illusions doc i had no (laughs) idea they were in it to make money
2: (laughs) and the well the well was was not in it to make money so we've lost something yeah now forbes calls this meta capitalism and uh you know Social media's been, you know, been around. There's even a social media song out there, I think. Oh, there is.
1: is YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, too. I feel I'm getting closer to you. I used to be strangers, but now that's not true. Because I read and hear all about you. It does not matter if you don't reply. I know we're friends now, that's no lie. You always say good morning, hello, and bye go
2: how you feel and why oh, yeah it's all about friendship it's all about oh, friendship yeah, you know that, that. Thing. so the thing with facebook interactions people don't actually have dialogues they just do liking and unliking and and they um, they they don't really collaborate facebook is a way to make money they um, they basically focused on the newsfeed, and the news feed is where all the problems are you get stuff showing up in your facebook page that you don't even ask for, and they're just trying to elicit a response to get you engaged so they can make more money on ads. So
0: your first piece of advice is just turn off the newsfeed. Your life will improve immediately.
2: Yeah, just turn off the newsfeed, yeah. and then you can simply log on to somebody else's you know, page, and you can interact with them at a higher level or, or form a private group of friends. So you could make your own Facebook well, for instance, where you'd form a private group for discussions – about things that you're interested in, and you become friends, and it's not anonymous at all. You can you can actually choose to use Facebook in a way that's very supportive. Uh, so we do have it in our choice, and it's easy just to criticize Facebook, but they, they do have a platform that, if you are mindful, and if you focus on the right thing, you can actually get something useful out of it. I mean, I know I know friends that that set up private groups for their family and and the family from around the world collaborates as though they're all in the same room and there's no news feed and nobody except the family can be in the group, which is very useful. Now, what's happening though with Silicon Valley is these tech companies are becoming bigger and bigger. Uh, Facebook is becoming bigger. We've got now algorithms that are making AI decisions uh, and now t- Facebook wants to, wants to g- go into the virtual world where you put on these VR headsets and then you're immersed in, in the Facebook world. That way they can, they can fly ads in front of you and, and they can get you totally engaged in this, in this virtual world so, so they can make, so they can make more money. I mean, Google's doing the same thing, trying to control ads, um, Uh, LinkedIn's doing it, Twitter's doing it, they're all trying to uh, get you engaged, find a way to to monetize it, and it's actually collecting too much power in the hands of a few people in Silicon Valley. So these capitalist tech monopolies, according to theorist Neil Postman, uh, seek their authorization through technology. They find, they hope that, People find satisfaction in technology, and they hope that people take orders from technology. They're actually becoming bigger than government. Now, what we need is a real discussion that fosters an open source culture with data rights, where we own our own data, and we have ownership of our own data, where we use technology for positive social transformation, and not simply to use it to sell more products. I think this is a, um, a a sort of a worthy objective. and and uh, i mean the the upside is that we can do it consciously. We can use it consciously, and we don't have to succumb to what the what the tech monopolies are are up to. Um, what's your feeling about that? Well, I think Andrew? we can
0: accomplish this without government regulation. I mean, I'm not saying there should be no regulation whatsoever, but I mean, making this kind of social change can come from below the way it happens, you know, uh, like, for example, uh, companies that have environment-friendly policies. Now, why? Because the consumer demands it. So I think the same thing here where consumers of Facebook and other social media could uh, really, uh, you know, bring to bear their own the, their power of the pocketbook by saying this is what we want and starting to act, behave accordingly.
2: That's right now now I do think we have to get rid of this culture where these tech companies can ban people because they don't agree with their political political viewpoints. If they would just stay off the scale and just allow interaction to occur in some sort of moderated way, I think that would be very good. Um, I, I think I, I think this um, um, the way that uh, technology is actually um, is actually weighing in on who who's allowed to operate and who's not allowed to operate. That may require some government regulation, but I don't think we want to have government regulating uh, re- regulating how these platforms work. I'd like them to go back to being platforms and not as not editorial platforms. Now Facebook is also dropping the uh, dropping their facial recognition tagging of photos you remember the uh, they would they were using facial recognition and then uh they would go throughout the entire facebook world and if they recognized your face even if you were at a party that you didn't want the pictures up there they would tag you so so if, if your friend would take a picture of you and, and they would post it to their web Website, and suppose you're doing something you don't want your employer to know about or your spouse, they would, they would tag you, Facebook would tag you with facial recognition, yeah. And then your employer searches your name, and that photo comes up, yeah, yeah. So it could, it that, was a, like a, that was like a rude awakening to people, yes. And it so, was. Facebook got a lot of pushback on that, and they have agreed to stop facial recognition tagging of photos, yeah. And so that's really good. I'll tell you, we love your your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. We'd like to go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out our programs in cybersecurity and software engineering, computer networking, uh, health sciences, nursing, culinary arts, hospitality business, accounting. We go from the associate degree through the master's level, and we'd certainly like to help you get on the shortest path to a new career. Uh, We'll talk to you next week.
0: And tell them you heard about it on Tech Talk Radio. (music) Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.